Hey everybody, this is the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and this week I am joined by Adam Cornelius, director of The Ecstasy of Order, a feature-length documentary about competitive Tetris. Welcome to the show, Adam. Uh, well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I think most people who are playing video games are at least vaguely familiar with the idea that there's competitive StarCraft, there's Major League Gaming, where people are playing games like Halo or uh, Gears of War. But when I heard about your movie, it was the first time I had ever heard about competitive Tetris. How long has this been going on? Well, on a national scale, um, there hasn't really been any big Tetris tournaments uh, until the one that we filmed, which was in August of 2010. It was the first classic Tetris World Championship. I know that the Blue Planet folks have done, I think they did a Tetris DS tournament back in like 2006 in Hawaii, so obviously not, you know, it's difficult. That's where they're based out of, so. Uh, there's little tournaments, like, uh, at retro gaming conventions, but yeah, not on a national scale where there was a real attempt to find the best Tetris player in the country. That had never really happened since uh, the 1990 Nintendo World Championships, which was kind of, became a Tetris tournament by default, because all the kids, it was a three-part contest with uh, Mario, Rad Racer, and Tetris, but all the kids just memorized Mario and Rad Racer, so, you know, there was no real competition there. It was all about who did better in Tetris, so. What changed recently that started this competitive Tetris scene? Well, uh, we kind of told the story of that in the movie, which uh, it really started with uh, Robin Mihara, who actually got third place at the Nintendo World Championships. Um, he's one of the stars of the film, and he kind of took it upon himself to put on this tournament. When so, you say in the Nintendo World Championships, you mean in the 1990 Nintendo World Championships. Correct. So we have the first place player, um, it was Thor Ackerland, and um, he already enjoys some fame, and uh, he uh, is a big part of the movie. And Robin, who got third place, um, is also a star of the movie. So Robin has sort of, his story as it's portrayed in the movie is that he, you know, is kind of obsessed with his own appearance at the Nintendo World Championships, and it's always sort of been this pivotal moment in his life that happened when he was, I guess, 13 or something like that. And for him, creating a new Tetris tournament is kind of his way of just, you know, showing his appreciation for Tetris, but also just to kind of, that's how he enjoys Tetris now by putting on this tournament and kind of gets some closure with his whole past as a child Tetris champion. And um, it worked out. He put it on this tournament. He did a really good job. And uh, he managed to get all the best players to show up and, and definitively, you know, have a title holder, you know, after that event. So that's what you see in the film. It's kind of interesting how uh, in 1990 at the Nintendo World Championships, there were 13-year-olds competing but now, uh, if you look at video game championships, both this Tetris and the stuff like Major League Gaming and StarCraft, it's adults. Is that uh, yeah, I think that's because, actually, at the Nintendo World Championships, this is interesting, there were three age groups. And the age groups were something along the lines of, I don't know, 12 to 15, and then, or, or something like that, and then 16 and up, and then there was like a little kids group that was, you know, I, I forget how they split it up, but there was basically like elementary school, middle school, and high school, something like that, and, and adults. And the adults were like the worst group. The adults at that time in 1990 fared worse than the elementary school kids. 
and the strongest players were the kind of early team group from which Thor and Robin, because like Thor won his category, but he also by far got the highest score of anyone at the event. <laughs> so I think all that tells us is that not that kids are better at games, but just that's the generation who was born in, say, the late 70s was the first generation of people that played video games their entire life. You know, it's like myself, uh, you know, I got an Atari when I was like three years old and was immediately better than my parents. So it was a, li- it's a lifetime of video game playing. So now you have the adults who are in their 30s. Well, they've been playing games their whole lives. Some of them have been playing specifically Tetris their whole lives, not just video games, but this one game. Uh, exactly. So how does the tournament itself actually structured? Presumably, there aren't just a lot of Game Boy Link cables. <laughs> well, in this case, it was all the people who had posted the highest scores on Twin Galaxies for the original Nintendo Tetris. So it, it was considered a classic Tetris World Championship. And part of the reason that it was limited to Nintendo Tetris was because the newer versions, whether it be Tetris Splash or Tetris Worlds or Tetris, anything, you know, that came out on the newer platforms, say, since, you know, the late 90s, is really a totally different game with all kinds of additions. You know, there's a hold chamber, there's uh, instantaneous drop, there's the... uh, All these nuanced little rules that really change the game quite a bit. So... Uh, the tournament that's in the movie is a classic Tetris tournament, uh, the stripped-down, bare-bones Nintendo version. And we had there was eight semifinalists who were all on the stage at the same time and all had their own TV. And it really was just round by round who would get the best scores. And all, this, all the games were projected on a movie screen. So the way it worked was that um, the scoring system actually got a little convoluted. I don't know how far you want me to go into it. I feel very confident in what I'm about to say. I want to hear every detail about Tetris scoring. <laughs> okay, well, well, we did kind of a, a weighted thing where, okay, let's say round one, the top score was, say, a 550,000. Then a 550,000 would be 100%, and scores two through eight would then be whatever percentage of 550,000, so maybe the next door was a 400,000, that'd be like a 70-some percent. And so each round you got a score from 1 to 100 based on how well you can you played in comparison to the top score. Like any good tournament, we had lots of complicated rules that people wanted to protest against and stuff. So, <laughs> Well, what I'm wondering is, like, when you play chess or even Magic the Gathering, as I learned uh, last week on this show, you have to do, like seven rounds because it could just be, you know, you can't just play one and be like, well, you're the better person. There's a lot of luck. Who goes first? It matters. But these people, they just play one round of Tetris and whoever gets the top score, that's 100. They move on to the next round. Well, no, all eight semifinalists played in three total rounds. Okay. So it was a cumulative score of the three rounds. And then the top two cumulative scores from those three rounds went on to uh, meet up in a head-to-head final match. And in my opinion, the tournament worked in that the best players, what were, in my opinion, the best players did advance. And um, it ultimately seemed uh, basically fair. I mean, I think there's some improvements to be made. Uh, Actually, we did another tournament. I say we uh, loosely. I I don't play a big part in it, but I do chip in with some ideas and stuff. The, uh, The 2011 tournament had a totally different set of rules. And um, I think 
we, you know, everyone learned a lot, and I think it is difficult to really invent the proper tournament that will be fair, that will be fun, that will be entertaining. There's a lot of factors you have to weigh when you're, you're trying to create a new sport, almost. You're trying to make it so that Tetris is fun to watch the same way that maybe uh, Texas Hold'em has become a valid spectator sport to some extent, at least on TV. You're trying to invent, how is this fun for the audience? How is this fun for the competitors? How is it fair? How is it, how can we keep the time down so it doesn't take too long? It gets, it's a really tricky thing to get right, and I think that with some more work, um, the parties involved will arrive at the ideal tournament, but we're, you know, it's not quite there yet, so... It sounds very controversial. What are some of the problems people have with the current set of Tetris rules? Well, I think one major problem is just the, the brutal nature of the game itself, at least classic Tetris. Um, it, it, it's kind of a situation where you have these people who have these tremendous talents, and really, even over the course of three or four games, there's a pretty high likelihood of just completely, you know, biting it in, in more than half your games, even if you're one of the greatest players in the world, because the, the original Tetris is so unforgiving. Um, it, it gives you certain sequences of pieces. And the, the problem with the old game, or problem slash beauty of it, is that the piece generation is completely random. So, or well, it has a touch of what computer programmers call randomization smoothing, but not much. So, it could give you anything. I mean, it could give you four blocks in a row and then five Z's. You know, you, we've seen it all. And so it really will just come right out and kill you sometimes. And and so no matter how good you are, uh, you know, you had a bad round and maybe it wasn't totally your fault. So I think, like I said, the kind of beauty of the game, but if it goes too far, you know, you could say, well, that was unfair. And I think really, in the end, if, if we want to have a fair classic Tetris tournament, it's going to come down to kind of finding a way to tinker with the game through an emulator or something and create... A situation where everyone's getting the same pieces, and that's the only way to make it 100% fair. That doesn't seem impossible, you know. It's not like uh, it's not like golf where we'd have to give everyone the same wind. It seems like we could probably make a version of Tetris that gives everyone the same pieces. Yeah, I think the tricky thing is is um, you actually have to. I mean, this is like I guess we're on, what's the name of your podcast again, Jeff? The Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show? Yeah, and, and we're, so we're getting, Jeff Rubin shows all about getting nerdy, so I can, I can go for it. Oh with, my uh, God, please. Yeah, if, if they've made okay. it this far, like, I think they want to know every detail about Tetris. I mean, really, I, I called the show that because it's for me, and I want to hear, like, the nitty gritty. Okay, good. Well, the interesting thing is, is that when you're dealing with old game console like the NES, the NES is one of the most beloved, you know, nostalgia-wise consoles, uh, it really doesn't interact too well with uh, modern televisions. Yeah, you can't use the zapper. Correct. And I tried to hook up a Robbie the Robot. Forget about it. Oh, my God. What a mess. <laughs> so, for example, uh, it's well, 60 frames interlaced. So even when you play, like, a Nintendo emulator on your computer, like, say, uh, I think I have a copy of Mistopia. I would um, only do that if I legally owned the ROM. I just... Let me just get that out there. Uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we got that out of the way. But when you played in an emulator, you were saying... The frame rate's very important. When you get into a situation where you're a master at a game and it requires these split-second reflexes, then you really have to play it on an old-fashioned television, the, like what, what it was meant to be hooked up to. You can't play it on your computer. You can't play it on an LCD TV or a plasma TV. It just doesn't work. At the 2011 tournament, there was a Nintendo version 
and a PlayStation 3 tournament kind of uh, simultaneously. So that was pretty neat to see the modern players. That's interesting, yeah. It seems like a sport yeah. in the sense bowling is a sport where it's like you have to perform under pressure. It's like something you could do on your own. You've done a hundred times, but now you're doing it on stage under pressure or golf uh, or figure skating or something like that, where it's just about running the perfect course as opposed to something like, um, I don't know, hockey or chess where you're actually like actively playing against somebody. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it, in the case of classic Tetris, it's, it's sort of like, you might say figure skating or yeah, like bowling where, uh, it's really you against yourself to just sort of post the highest possible score you can in public at a given date and time. So yeah, I'd, I'd say that's true. Uh, however, the new Tetris, the PlayStation 3 Tetris and stuff like that, is uh, does have a battle mode, and that's what they did at the 2011 tournament, where you sort of like, I think Dr. Mario was the first game to come up with the idea where if you do well, you know, you get a Tetris, you send quote-unquote garbage to the other guy. I think, so, I think maybe, and I, I may be wrong, I defer to you, I feel like on the Tengen, Tengen version of Tetris on Nintendo, which is like this weird bootleg thing where there were two versions of Tetris out, and that's a whole other story, I feel like their version, even though it was the less legitimate version, maybe had that feature. Is that possible? Uh, no, it had a two-player feature where you and your friend were playing on the same screen at the same time, but there was no battle. No, like, attacking. Yeah, it was just whoever, it was just who got the highest score kind of thing. It's amazing how many different versions of Tetris there are. I think ever since Nintendo, it's come out on every single platform, and they're still making it. It's one of the best-selling mobile games of all time. I think the stat we got was, it's estimated that two out of three Americans have actually played Tetris at some point in their life. So that's, that's pretty mind-boggling. Um, and that's why I think the movie was really exciting because we had an opportunity to actually get into the game and actually even have some sort of mini tutorials throughout the movie. Whereas I feel like if it was about a more, a game that was maybe more niche, um, that would be more difficult to do. So I really relished that opportunity that, I mean, we tried to have a test screening for people that had never played Tetris and we couldn't even find anybody under the age of 70 that hadn't played it. So it's, uh, you know, a rare opportunity to kind of exploit that familiarity and, and make a whole different kind of movie where really the drama within the game is explained. And so then when people watch the tournament, they understand what they're watching and they, they get involved with it on a Tetris level rather than just sort of a, you know, because... One obvious approach to doing this film would have been to have a tournament and just kind of play some snazzy music and make a montage of, of people, you know, pulling their hair out or, or getting mad that they lost or showing someone high-fiving each other and just get, o- get it over with, you know, in, in like two minutes. Um, but I had an exciting chance to really show, I think the tournament in the film is actually about 13 minutes long. You really see who's doing well, you know, some great Tetris moves, some great near-death experiences and then mm. people come back from it. Like when we're at film festivals and we're watching this tournament, you see people, or you can hear people in the audience kind of gasping and ooing and hawing mm. as the tournament's playing, which was kind of my goal. Like, it, it really works on that level where people just get into rooting for their favorite player and stuff like that. When I'm actually there watching a Tetris game at the actual tournament, not in the movie, how long does a game of Tetris last when played by 
uh, you know, the best in the world. Because I, I always assume that if you were good enough, you could just play forever. Well, that's when we get into, like, every different version of Tetris. Like, in the movie, you see some of the players compete for the world record in singing Tetris, uh, just all just kind of hanging out. At a beach house, they decide to see who can do the best at Tengen Tetris. In the Tengen version of Tetris. Yes, in the Tengen or Tengen. I never did I don't know that how out. to say it either. So what, wait, let's just quickly let's get that out of the way. Uh, they, there were two versions of Tetris. Tengen, I don't know what their deal was, but they always been Nintendo cartridges that came in a different shape. They were the only company that came in a different shape, where like, the edge was diagonal. And there was like a weird thing where, uh, because copyright law in Russia, I think, was kind of iffy, because, you know, it was the 80s, it wasn't clear who owned Tetris, and, like, it was unclear who owned the rights to it, and this company thought they had the rights to Tetris, and they just made it? Did I make all that up? Um, you're, you're close to right. I mean, that's a really complex story that I would actually recommend for people that are interested in learning about that. Uh, BBC made a documentary. I think it was called From Russia with Fun. <laughs> I'm not sure what the best way to watch it is, but it tells the whole story of Alexei... Pajitnov and, and Hank Rogers and how they dealt with the uh, copyright of the game and the sort of business slash copyright history of Tetris is told in that documentary. It's very interesting. Really quickly, could you summarize why communism failed just so that we can understand why there's two versions of 8-bit Tetris? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Obviously, you don't have to get into that. It's a very complex story, but I just want to touch on it just so people can appreciate exactly what you mean when you say that these players were focusing on the version of Tetris that Tengen released for Nintendo, not the version that Nintendo released for Nintendo. Yeah, for this scene in the movie, there's one scene in the movie where they focus on that, and it comes up that in Tengen Tetris, and this is word for word what I say in the narration, the, the difficulty plateaus at a sustainable level. So what that means is, that at that point, the game is a marathon game. So that means you could, if you had the motivation, you could probably play King and Tetris as long as you could stay awake. Now, on the other side of the token, you've got the Nintendo brand Tetris, um, which has a quote-unquote kill screen, which is level 29. It takes a good player approximately eight minutes to get to level 29. So... I think that's kind of the beauty of Nintendo Tetris is in order to get the perfect score, which is um, 999,999, uh, the max, we call it the max out, uh, in order to get that score, you have to play with a certain level of efficiency within that set allotted amount of time because you know when you get to level 29, it's over because it's, it's impossible to survive. So... We figure you have to get about 60% Tetris. Like 60% of the lines, you get have to be Tetrises, and you have to get to about level 20. You have to get to level 29, and then you might be in the ballpark of getting the million points, which only, as of this date, only three people in the world have ever done. So it's kind of a beautiful thing that they created. For me, it's kind of like a sword in the stone or kind of thing where this is so hard to achieve that it's almost like... Um, they programmed this perfect game where somehow they knew that only a few people would ever be able to do it. I just think that's kind of, uh, I don't know if they ever predicted that anyone would be able to do that, but it almost feels like they did because they designed it so that it's almost impossible to get the million points before you died. It's like they somehow figured it out, the actual Japanese programmers, and just weighted that difficulty perfectly. It's kind of beautiful. So that's why I think we're all devotees of that original Nintendo version because it has that beautiful 
design. Whereas the thing in Tetris is kind of boring to be like, well, who can stay up for 24 hours? And you know what I mean? Like, that's not as interesting. And it's specifically <laughs> Nintendo Tetris on the NES, not Game Boy te- Nintendo Tetris or any PC version of Tetris. It's specifically the Nintendo Entertainment System 8-bit version of Tetris. For whatever reason, um, that became the, at least in our group, at least filmed in the movie, uh, that became the focal, that's the version that everyone focuses on. And I think it's the mystique of the Max South, um, the mystique of playing on level 19. And it's basically so fast that you have to know where the piece is going to go before it even comes out and execute that move perfectly or you'll die. You know, it's like one mistake and you're dead. And I think it's that thrill, that rush of being near death for like three or four minutes. You know, it's like three or four minutes of pure focus to get through level 19 to level 28. Um, I think that's just kind of thrilling. And I've gotten to the point that I can survive you know, for maybe 40, 50 lines within that speed myself. And it really is, it's even more addictive because you're, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like how someone might describe in the zone. You know, you have to just get to a point where you're not even thinking about it. And if you can find that space in your head, it's, it's, I think it's really thrilling. So I, I think that's why people get obsessed with that version. It almost sounds like, I keep trying to compare it to other things in my mind. I don't know why. It almost sounds like surfing, where you have to just have this basic set of skills, and then because of the randomness, you just have to you just got to find your wave and just when you get your opportunity, nail it and get that perfect run. Yeah, that's a lot of what it's like. It's like a mental version of that um, because you can't. I think people have this misperception that if you're good at Tetris, you're some kind of math guy, or you're you have some pre concept of, of what's the best strategy to fit the pieces together and stuff. And there, obviously that comes into play. But there's also this more um, fluid element where you actually have to be very open and very zen. And you can't be sort of a egghead um, sort of uh, control freak. You know, you have to be kind of groovy about it. Like, <laughs> you have to be able to kind of let go and 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 that's kind of something I try to introduce in the movie is the the phrase ecstasy of order refers to that. It's like you kind of have to go into this zen mindset to, yeah, ride that wave, as you might say, of pieces. You know, you're just you're just opening your mind and letting it kind of flow over you. You can't exert your will on it. You know, then, then it won't work and you'll lose. So there's something to all that. Earlier you were saying it takes a good player eight minutes to reach level 29. What makes a good player? You know, some good players have come out of the woodwork uh, as we as these tournaments have happened and the movies coming out. It's hard to say, as far as scores go on Nintendo Tetris, I feel anyone that can break 400,000, you know, has something to brag about. That's pretty hard to do. Um, I bet you a lot of people can do that. It's hard to say. I think when you get into really the elite, you know, the best of the best where you're maybe one of, I'd say, 15 people in America, let's say, is when you can break 700,000. Because to break 700,000, that means that you have to be able to survive the level 29 and actually get some Tetrises within the level 19 speed, um, which is a whole different realm. So, 
I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, definitely to be good, you have to uh, um, be able to play on level 18 competently. Um, the game lets you start on any level up to 19. So, you know, I would say if you want to get good, just force yourself to play on level 18 no matter how frustrating it is. And then once you're, once that feels normal, then you're kind of graduated to, you know, semi-pro or something like that. The Tetris effect is a well-documented phenomenon. And by well-documented, I mean it has a Wikipedia page where people who play a lot of Tetris see the game after they stop playing. And I've talked before how this is kind of a quality of, like, the very best video games, like Portal or Tony Hawk or, God forbid, Grand Theft Auto. But Grand Theft Auto counts, where, like, after you stop playing, you look around and you're like, yeah, I could jump off of that, fly over to that thing. And uh, Tetris is kind of the first one of those where after you play, you start looking around and you just want to start stacking things. Is that a problem for the players where they're just playing so much Tetris that they see the game even when they're not playing it? We actually talked to a, um, a psychologist slash um, kind of neurologist uh, named Dr. Richard Heyer, and he's, he makes an appearance in the movie. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm giving it away a little bit, but what we learned from him is that if you're experiencing Tetris effect, that's a sign that your mind is still solving those problems. And it's still kind of, it's sort of like you ate food. Like you, you, the Tetris game was the meal, and then the Tetris effect is the, the symptom of your brain digesting that meal, right? So the funny thing is, is once you've mastered the game, once you're on the elite level of the people starring in the movie, you don't have Tetris Effect anymore because you've figured everything out. So there's nothing left. Your, your brain is not churning in the background trying to figure it out anymore because it's done. So I think that's pretty fascinating. So if you have Tetris Effect, it's a good sign that you're probably improving your game. Like, you're, you know, in the background, you're digesting that new information and figuring it all out. Possibly a bad sign for your sanity, though. Maybe. But, you know. <laughs> well, I'd say I'd rather have Tetris Effect than, like, you know, a, a doom effect or, or Call of Duty effect where I'm imagining killing people everywhere I go, you know? That's true, and I like some of those games. Like, I love Gears of War, but I don't think they do what we're talking about. They don't get in your head the same way. One that does, that does come to mind, is Braid. Have you ever played Braid? Uh, no, I heard about it. It's a wonderful game. I think it's usually the first game people bring up when they're trying to prove that games can be art. It's a puzzle game, but not like Tetris Falling Blocks puzzle game. Uh, superficially, it kind of looks like Mario in that you're a guy moving from the left to the right, but there's puzzles for you to solve, and some of them are very difficult. And if you get stuck, and I've had this experience, and I know several other people that have had this experience, you get stuck on a puzzle, uh, maybe you put the game down, maybe you go ahead and live your actual life. The next day, you're walking around or you're driving or something, and the solution to the puzzle dawns on you, and you know next time you sit down... You know what to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's sign of a great game. Yeah. Uh, I really like Portal. You mentioned Portal. I don't play uh, games very consistently, but every now and then I'll, I'll take somebody's recommendation and, and check something out. And uh, I was able, I was lucky enough to play Portal, and I, I only played through like the first 20 levels or so. Um, I've been meaning to get back to it, but that was an awesome game. I, I actually, uh, I, I thought that was really impressive. So, uh I know there's a lot of good stuff out there. And it has that quality where when you're done playing Portal, 
after you stop playing the game, you're just like, God damn it, if I could just put a portal in my apartment and a portal at work, you know, and you just start, it, it, it leaves the game for you and it just, it stays in your brain. And I think Tetris just has that quality. Well, my favorite part of Portal is just to do one in the ceiling and one in the ground and just fall forever and leave and just let it do that. I think it's kind of fun. Oh, yeah. And you have to <laughs> kind of wrap your brain about what it's been. And that's what games are supposed to be about. They're supposed to be fun. And sometimes uh, when I watch these like high-level gaming tournaments, I see people that are taking it so seriously, and it feels like they've lost sight of the fact that it's, you know, it's a video game. Is Tetris still fun for these people playing at the highest level? Well... Yes, I believe it is extremely fun. Um, I would say it's almost more fun for the people who've mastered the game than it is for, you know, intermediate players in this case. Because, like I said, there's kind of that thrill of pushing yourself to an extreme limit of, you know, human capability that is thrilling. And that's, I think that's another part of the movie is just the nature of being good at anything. Um, I mean, you can be the best cup stacker, you know, you show those videos, just weird things are completely irrelevant that have no practical use, but just, you know, kind of driving yourself to be in the outer reaches of human capability, almost to the point where it's like you've developed a superpower or something. Like the Matrix! Yeah. <laughs> I, exactly. I think the people who are this good at Tetris, I mean, in a way, they're experiencing something that that's a unique experience to them. I mean, very few people in the world ever even get to know what that's like. So I think I think they have a blast. I think certainly um, there's a level of obsession and things like that, and only each person unto themselves knows when did it become unhealthy or or did they cross a line. You know that that's on a case-by-case basis. So I think there's definitely some of that, you know, where, where if you become obsessed to the point that you're abandoning loved ones and things like that, yeah, that's a problem. But, uh, you know, I didn't dig that deep with any of the people in the movie, really. I, I said in the, in the movie, I didn't try to dig too deep on the subject of addiction or obsession. You know, I let people kind of, you know, tell their stories how they wanted to. I, I didn't try to reveal anything bad about playing a lot of Tetris. And I did, my impression was, from my own experience and from talking to the players, that there's only so much Tetris you can play. No matter how good you are, after one or two hours, you're just kind of worn out, you know. you just There's a built-in limit. So unlike, say, you hear about World of Warcraft and stuff where people play for nonstop until they die of dehydration or something, I mean... It's just hard to do with Tetris because you just get tired. It's just when you're playing that level 19 game, you know, you need breaks. So When I heard about Tetris tournaments and your movie, I assumed it was like a grueling marathon where people were all day. And I'm surprised to learn just how much of it is just like getting that perfect run and just hitting it, you know, nailing it once. Yeah, I think it's it's that's something that got lost. And I know this is really controversial in the, uh, the video game world. Um, and it's sort of in King of Kong, you know, the idea of showing up live and, and performing live when all the marbles, you know, it's for all the marbles. I kind of side with that. I Because I, I tried to post through Galaxy scores, and we were sitting there and hitting reset and playing like 100 games, you know, and recording that one lucky game where you got your high score, but it was that one lucky game out of thousands and thousands of tries. 
it's kind of like, eh, that doesn't seem as exciting to me as actually, you know, competing live. I, 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 I'm just saying from an entertainment perspective, there's nothing like a live tournament. So, Yeah, I think that's true. Well, what I think what's different about what's unique about these tournaments as opposed to, you know, Evo, which is the big uh, Street Fighter tournament. God, I hope they don't say it EVO. I hope I don't sound like the biggest noob. But whatever it is, you know, it's this huge Street Fighter tournament. But that is more directly competitive, whereas this is just about showing up and kind of, you know, showing what you can do. Right, right. You know, I love Street Fighter, but I found that when I watch a Street Fighter tournament, I. I have a hard time really relating to what's happening. I'm like, well, I see the Hadoukens and the Dragon Punches, and obviously these guys know what they're doing. But it's so quick that I just kind of, I'm like, I don't know. That, for me, I'm sure it's fun for the parties involved, and I think it's definitely an accomplishment to be a great Street Fighter player. But as a spectator, I don't really know what I'm watching. So, uh, whereas with Tetris, granted, I am a good Tetris player, but Tetris just has this, it's just fun to watch. I don't know. It's also just so simple. I mean, like, Street Fighter, uh, and the Street Fighter games have, you know, they have, I guess, like, even Street Fighter 2, a relatively old game, compared to Tetris, it's, like, infinitely more complex. Like, in Tetris... There's four characters, the long block, the square block, the S block. You know, in, in Street Fighter, it's all about, like, counting frames and knowing specifically how this person's attacks cancel out this person's attacks. And it, it's a deep game, and that doesn't mean it's not worth mastering or something, but Tetris is just uh, pure simplicity. It's almost just like uh, turning yourself into a robot and just sorting things and seeing who is the best at getting into that state of mind. I think a good example, like, I'm a big fan of Texas Hold'em Poker, and that, I think it's the same way with poker is that you could spend a lifetime trying to master poker and reading every book and studying statistics and probabilities. But at the end of the day, everyone knows that two aces is good. You know, you don't have to read a book to know what a three of a kind is. You know, the, the game on the surface is extremely simple to understand. But you can take it as far as you want to go. And I think Tetris is the same way. Whereas, yeah, like... Street Fighter 2 might be more like chess or something where it just learning all the rules and all the moves, it kind of takes a second. So Yeah, even chess is simpler. <laughs> I mean, what makes chess probably a better game than Street Fighter 2 in the long run? I, I, I'm probably, I, I feel bad saying it because I played like infinitely more Street Fighter 2. But uh, chess has probably simpler rules like as far as the actual rules of the game but more complex ways it can play out. Whereas Street Fighter has more complex rules as, as much as you have to learn to completely understand the game, but uh, has relatively fewer ways it can play out. We can make computers that play Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2 plays itself. We'd have to develop another computer. Well, you know, I think I'm just jealous because I could never figure out how to get good at Street Fighter 2, and it's a lifelong uh, bitter thorn in my side. So. Can Tetris be played perfectly? In other words... If we transcend humanity and reflexes are no longer a factor, or maybe we want to train a computer to play Tetris, can we do that? Can they play the game forever? Yeah, actually, there's a, once again, there's some mention of that sort of thing in the movie. Basically, no. A computer, Tetris is so open-ended, um, as opposed to chess, where chess, there's actually, as pieces are taken off the board, and you get to an in-game situation where, let's say, you have a king and a bishop and two pawns versus a king and three pawns. At that point, 
the tree is shrinking. The tree of possibilities is getting smaller as the game goes along. Whereas in Tetris, because you're always introducing new pieces and, and new situations, it's kind of a it's not a closed situation. It's constantly opening up. So there's no way you can train a computer to find a perfect move. Um, you can. There are various ways to teach a computer to find good moves, or you know, uh, to create a computer that has good Tetris playing tendencies. But there really is, as long as as, as to the extent that we can humanly perceive it, there are no perfect moves in Tetris. However, once again, that changes from version to version. If it, pieces are um, dealt out how they are in the modern game, then in that case, Tetris is solved. Um, you, you can create a perfect style of playing when you know the piece distribution is going to be extremely even. Like the newer games have what they call seven-bag randomization, where they'll give you seven pieces at a time. They'll give you all seven pieces in some random order at once. So... In that case, you know you're never going to go without a long bar, for instance, for more than, you know, 14 pieces. So, in the newer version, Tetris is solved. But in the old versions where the pieces came out truly randomly, there's no solution. And I would go so far as to say that I believe someone proved that it's actually inevitable that you would lose, no matter how perfectly you play. At some point, if you've got 20 Zs in a row or 20 Ss in a row, it would kill you. And that might take a million years to ever get 20 Vs in a row, but it would eventually happen. So we can still beat computers at Tetris. That's something we're still better than them at. I think so. I mean, I'd be interested to see. I, there's some projects out there to program computers to play Tetris. Um, my friend Alex, who's in the movie, uh, he has he knows of a group of guys who are doing something called rating stack state. So they would just feed this data into the computer where they would show different stacks of Tetris pieces, and they, through all these various criteria, would give it a rating from 1 to 10. And then they would constantly just feed new stack states with ratings into the computer, and then the computer's trying to use that data to, you know, kind of move towards the better stack state as it goes along. I don't know how well that project will work, but there, so there are different things you can do like that to try to teach a computer to play Tetris, but overall, I think, um, as, as it stands, you know, humans are way better, but there hasn't been that international effort like there was with chess. Like, with chess, it was like the space race to try to program this great chess computer, and, and we don't have any big company or anything working on that for Tetris, so... That could be a to-be-continued situation. And you know what? We probably won't have it until it's too late. Earlier, <laughs> I had said that, you know, why don't we just make a version of Tetris that gives everyone the same pieces all the time, but it seems like at the core of the game is this randomness, and uh, it, to take that away, it wouldn't exactly be the same sport. That's not exactly what people are competing at. It's all it, it's all about that and trying to deal with what you're, uh, what you're getting. Yeah, I think the, the, the probability is way higher that everyone will get really crappy situations, but the question is, it won't be at the same point in the game, but the way the game works, that it's extremely low probability that you'll always get favorable situations. I mean, that, a lot of times when you go into galaxies and you watch somebody's highest scoring game, you'll see that they were pretty fortunate, you know, 
but that's that one game out of a thousand. So in live tournament setting, the reality is that everyone's probably going to get screwed. <laughs> so it's pretty even, really. We've been talking about Tetris for a while now, but uh, we re- still really haven't got into the character of the movie. It sounds, uh, I can't wait to see it. Where Where is this movie? How can I view it? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, so far, we've played at uh, five film festivals. So for those of you who aren't indie film followers, um, when you make a film, you usually do your festival run, as it's called, and, and you know, you play at film festivals in different cities, kind of like a touring rock band to try to create buzz and, and, and create interest in your film kind of city by city. So we're still in that phase, which means the film hasn't been released. So the big question is, is it coming to your town? Well, the way to find out that is to be our Facebook friend or like us, you know, as it's called. Uh, in which case you'll get updates as to what town is playing in. And that phase of the film's life was probably going to continue through spring. At which point, so we're looking at summer 2012, look for it on DVD, look for it, uh, you know, in the iTunes store, uh, Netflix, that kind of thing. But uh, in the meantime, it's kind of city by city. Can you just put it on the internet? I just want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? I mean, I, it's funny, I... Uh, you know, I feel the same way to some extent. Only if you get it over with and put it on the internet. But you know, there's a whole. Uh, this is a system that's been in place with independent documentaries for for decades and decades. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the original game plan and and do the whole festival run. But it's fun. It gives it that exclusivity, that excitement, because when it does come to your town, that's the big chance to be one of the first people in the whole world to see it. Um, and then, like I said, well, or you can just wait till summer and, and you can see it when everyone else in the world sees it. So, so for now, we should uh, friend it on Facebook or like it on Facebook. I have trouble saying that, too. It's very difficult to explain. they got to come up with uh, better terminology for it. The movie is called Ecstasy of Order. Let me know when it comes out so I can let other people know when it comes out because I can't wait to see it. Thank you uh, so much for being on the show, Adam. Hey, it was fun. Thanks, Jeff. I imagine a lot of people at this point in the show automatically stop listening. I don't blame you, but stick it out just a little bit longer this week because we have some Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show announcements to get through. First one, actually not even a Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show announcement. The last thing I said was misleading. There is a new episode of Nerd Alert up at College Humor. Uh, Nerd Alert is this web series I do, and it's perfect for people that enjoy the podcast, but maybe they don't, they're sick of imagining what I look like when I'm saying these things. You don't have to do that anymore. Head over to College Humor, check out this new episode of Nerd Alert. Uh, it's about some of my favorite nerdy places to go in New York, and you can see them. And none of this enhanced episode bullshit. I'm talking actual videos. And it will have to tide you over until 2012, because the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show is taking off for Christmas. Let me check the calendar real quick and make sure that uh, there's not another Tuesday between Christmas and 2012. Okay, we appear to be good. I'm not going to leave you guys totally in the wind, though. I am going to post an outtake from a few weeks ago when I talked to Chris Gethard. We talked a lot about Weird New Jersey, this amazing magazine that I don't have to tell anyone from New Jersey about, uh, that Chris wrote for, and it didn't fit in the full episode, but I'm going to post that next week. I'll see you there. Bye. I said a lot of announcements. There were really only two. It wasn't that big a deal, I know. Thanks for listening anyway.